How do you know when you've wholly become God's? How do you know? Today we're in Philippians chapter 4. Paul is going to give us one way that we might be able to tell, maybe a litmus test for how holy or how completely we have actually given ourselves over to God. The purpose of Cornerstone is, is threefold. Many of you have heard this often, but it's, uh, it's worth repeating. Uh, the purpose of Cornerstone is by no accident. It's not chosen to be some uh, catchy you know, terminology or phrase that we could just put on a billboard or on a flyer, etc. The purpose of Cornerstone is very intentional, and it is threefold. You've heard it before, that we follow, we feed, and we free. Right? We follow, feed, and free. And they, they, they're in a specific order. They're intentionally in that order. And uh, we're not going to go into why that is today. I'll save that for another day. But let me just remind you that our, our purpose is threefold. Follow, to feed, and to free. And all three occasions, on all three instances, they, they deal in relationships. They deal in a community, if you will. Okay? That we don't just follow. We follow the Lord. We feed the sheep and we free the world. You see, we're following the Lord. We are in a relationship with our God, right? That's our primary responsibility. That is our primary uh, purpose is that we are in relationship with our God. That is our primary spiritual growth focus area is our relationship with God. It's got to come first. We're in that we're in that relationship first and foremost. Secondarily, we are in a relationship just the same. We are in a relationship with what we call sheep, feeding the sheep. We are in a relationship with the body of Christ. We, we need the body of Christ to lean on. Other believers, okay? We're in a relationship with God. We're in a relationship with the church, if you will, the body of believers, those who we lock arms with, name the name of Christ with, and we walk through this life with. We're in a relationship. We're also in a relationship, in a, on a third part, we're in a relationship with the world. We're in a relationship as saved men and women to the lost world to be light in a dark world, to, to shine our light, the light of Christ that is in us, to a dark world. You see that our purpose comes in three parts, to follow, feed, and free, but they're three relational areas. Our relationship to God, our relationship to each other as believers, and our relationship to the world. It could be said this way. Uh, our worship pastor in uh, seminary, he put it this way. In those three relational areas, he said, we have, we have really three areas of ministry, if you will. We minister in each of those three areas or relationships. So when we say we follow the Lord, we could also consider that we have a ministry to the Lord. When we say we feed the sheep, we have a ministry to the body of Christ. We have a ministry to his sheep. When we say we we free the world, we also understand that not only do we have a relationship to the world, but we have a ministry to the world. Now to say that, okay, to say that it, it makes uh, it makes complete sense, and it doesn't surprise us at all to understand that we have a ministry to each other. Amen? I mean, we understand that. We get that. We have a ministry to each other. To say even that we have a ministry to the lost world, that, that, that's easy to say, and we get that, and it, it doesn't surprise us at all. But I think sometimes it might surprise us. We don't, we, don't really, we don't really think about it as often, but do you understand we have, first and foremost, a ministry to God? Right? We're not just in a relationship to God. We could say in our, of our purposes that we have ministry areas. And the first ministry area we have is we have a ministry. We have an administration, if you will, towards God. Now that is the thought for this morning. And that is a magnificent thought that we're just, we're just barely going to touch on this morning. The idea that we, you and I, Men and women who were yet enemies of Christ, saved by his grace, we now, we now have the honor and the right and the privilege and the ability to be called ministers unto God. You remember and you understand that in the Old Testament, only a select few were to minister directly to God, right? You get that? That throughout the Old Testament, only a select few were able to go directly to God and they had the direct responsibility to minister to God. Who were those people? They were the priests, right? The high priest had even a more elite duty to go in and offer the annual sacrifice on behalf of the nation. But the priests, they were to go in and they were to be the direct ministers unto the Lord. It was their responsibility and only theirs. Anyone else that went in there was at risk of being struck down right there. You remember the parameters that God set up for the nation of Israel. Don't come any further than this. You send an intercessor in, you send a guy in on behalf of everyone 
And he comes in this way. He comes in at this time with these sacrifices, with these offerings. And I'll receive this, okay, and I'll count it towards the rest of you. There was a process. Only a select few men got to go in and minister to God. Now think about this. We have this right now. We have the privilege and the honor to all be considered ministers unto our God. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we dealt with this, uh, the cause for this on Easter Sunday, when we said that the veil has been torn, the barrier between God and man, where only one priest could enter in and act on behalf as a mediator for the whole, uh, for the whole world, essentially, uh, that system has been torn and gotten rid of. And what that means is now we don't just need that one guy to go in and be our, our priest, to be our intercessor. Now, like uh, 1 Peter 2.9 says, that we are now, each of us, each of us, we are, we are placed into the category of royal priests. We're in the priesthood. You get this? As we have a ministry to God, we, we get set on the platform. We get equated in Scripture, in New Testament, we get equated to the position of priest. We get, we get to deal directly and minister directly to God. Now, I could just stop right there and tell you just to sit and think about that for a while. And we could be done. That would be enough to consider. Right? Imagine that. Imagine that. That where only a select few were able to go in. Now, now we all have the, the opportunity to enter and offer our gifts, our sacrifices. Yeah. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 gives us, gives us the reason, the cause for us having this ability. Remember what it says, that Christ gave himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Remember that? That's, that's the picture of Christ on the cross. God received Christ on the cross as the final high priest. Not only was he the priest, but he was the sacrifice itself. He was the priest who brought a sacrifice, but he was also the sacrifice. And based on that sacrifice, based on him being the sacrifice, based on him being uh, an offering of himself and a fragrant aroma to God, that final sacrifice tore the veil. It was done. And now we all have the ability to come in as we are adopted into the family of our high priest. We all get to be sons of the high priest, which makes us in the category of priestly royalty. You catch this? Right? And so now we all have the ability to enter in. The veil's been torn. We get to directly minister to our God because Christ, he opened the door. He opened the door for all of us. Now, do we take, do we take uh, our right? Do we, do we exercise the privilege we have to minister unto God? In the New Testament, Paul uses on several occasions priestly language to equate to the things that we do as New Testament believers. We're going to look at one of those this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. Like a priest, we have gifts to bring to the altar. Like a priest, we have gifts to bring to the altar of God because Christ, the final high priest, has qualified us all for that job. We are a chosen race, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. So what do we have to offer up to God? What do we have? Today we're going to deal with one. Next week we're going to come back and look at some of the other offerings we have. But today in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to see one of the offerings that we have that we can use to directly minister unto God. All right. Now watch this. In Philippians chapter four, Paul pays the Philippian believers uh, really the ultimate uh, compliment. And he gives us a clue about what our ministry to God is. He gives us a clue about our primary uh, or our priestly service, what our priestly service unto our God is, what we can offer back to our gracious God. Watch this. In verse 10, you remember in chapter four of Philippians, we've been through this uh, overall, but I want to look more specifically at a couple things here. But you remember verse in, in verse 10, he says this, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now you remember specifically, he's talking about that they not just had this affection for Paul. They not just had this, this uh, head concern for Paul and this heart concern for Paul, but they had a real concern for Paul that showed up in their deeds. Uh, specifically, they sent Paul supplies and money. They were 
they were, uh, well, Paul was adopted essentially as the Philippian missionary, if you will. They sent this guy out and they supported his mission uh, endeavors. And so he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. As if to say, it's not that you ever weren't willing to give. It's not that you weren't willing to support me all along. You just, you weren't able to at a time. And I get that. He said, I'm just rejoicing that you're able to now. He goes on, verse 11. Not that I speak from one. He wants to make this very clear right here. Paul could care less, and you're going to see this. Paul could care less about the money he gets from these people, the supplies he gets from these people. Watch this. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. The secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need. And here it is, verse 13. You remember this? Here's the secret. It's him. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So here's what Paul says. Uh, You have done well that you've revived your concern for me. Specifically, uh, you you sent more gifts, money, supplies, whatever it is. Okay? Uh, That's good. Be clear about this, he says. I didn't necessarily need it. God... God has so taught me that I can be contented in him if I have a little, if I have a lot. Paul makes it clear. I didn't necessarily need what you had to give me. God will supply my needs. I'm counting on him. I'm not just depending on you. I'm not sitting back wringing my hands thinking, how am I going to make my next meal, etc., etc. He said, but, now watch this in verse 14. Nevertheless, at any rate, let's be clear about this, he says. I didn't necessarily need your gift. I'm not so excited about your gift itself. But make no mistake about it. You have done well to share with me in my affliction. What they've done, Paul says, is they've done well. Your giving to my missionary endeavors, it's the right thing to do. You have done well. Now he's going to unpack what it means to have done well here. Watch this. Verse 15. In verse 15, he's going to say that they've stepped up. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, and Macedonia is the region, you remember, where Philippi is. The church of the Philippians is in the region of Macedonia. So as he leaves that region, he says, you know just as well as I do, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. There's only one other church that I can find in the region of Macedonia. That's the church at Thessalonica. Okay? So here's what he says. You've done well that you've participated in the ministry with me by supplying and meeting my needs. You have done well. One of the ways you've done well is you've stepped up where other people didn't step up. Not only that, he says in the next verse, you've stepped up in a big way. Not anyone else was, no one else was stepping up. That's doing well, number one. Doing well, number two is... You've stepped up in a pretty ambitious way. Look at what it says in verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Let me explain this. When Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, still in the region of Macedonia. In the previous verse, he says that when I left the region of Macedonia, that's both the Philippian church and the Thessalonica church, he said no one else gave to me. So what do we gather from that? The Thessalonica church, the church of the Thessalonians, they weren't giving like the church at Philippi was. Okay? They weren't as generous to Paul's ministry as the church at Thessalonians. Okay? Now, watch this. When he says that, the, uh, that you gave to me on more than one occasion, even when I got to the, to the church of uh, the Thessalonians, the church of Thessalonica was about, uh, I'd say, 80 to 100 miles away. Okay? 80 to 100 miles away. We also know, most scholars agree, that Paul was in Thessalonica for about three weeks. He leaves Philippi. He's still in the region of Macedonia. He goes to the Thessalonians. He's there about three weeks. Now, this verse says that you, while no one else was giving, you actually gave on more than one occasion when I was in Thessalonica. Okay? He was there three weeks. We do not have Western Union. There are no bank drafts. Understand what happens here. As soon as he leaves, the very next place he goes, they start chasing Paul with money. Okay? They start chasing him with supplies. 
Their hearts were so for Paul, so for Paul's God, so far now their God, and so for the ministry of taking the light to the next place that they followed him with gifts. And on more than one occasion, the verse says, you supplied my needs. You see, they stepped up. No one else was stepping up. When Paul left the region of Macedonia, he says, you're the only ones that gave to me. Even the church at Thessalonica apparently wasn't giving. He says, while I was at Thessalonica, I was only there a short time, and you sent stuff to me. That's awesome, but more than that, you sent stuff a couple times. A hundred miles on foot, one way, in a matter of three weeks. That's ambitious giving. All right? You, You see the Philippians? You see what he's saying here? All right. Now, in verse 17, that's good, right? They stepped up. They stepped up in a big way. That's good. Now, look what Paul says here. It hasn't been just for Paul's benefit. This has been to the Philippians' benefit as well. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself. And he kind of repeats himself here. The gift itself, the money itself, is not Paul's primary concern. Did he need it? Yes. Did God use the Philippians as his hands on earth to provide for his minister? Sure did. Did God expand the kingdom through the Apostle Paul? Was Paul supplied by these people? He sure was. Did Paul need it? Yeah. Was Paul sitting around wringing his hands waiting on the Philippian money? No. Did Paul count on God and not the Philippians? He sure did. Paul gets that. He understands that. In that context, he says, but you know what? You've done well. You did well that you stepped up. Folks, nobody else was. And you've stepped up in a big way. But let's be clear. It's not the gift. It's not the gift that I'm after. I'm not actually after the deposit that you've made. Look what it says. He says, I'm after the profit or literally the fruit that comes from it. So they make this deposit. They invest into the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, it's not, it's not the capital. It's not the principle of your money that I'm, that I'm excited about. He said, I'm excited about literally, it says, the fruit that will come from the deposit that you've made. Now, that's an agricultural term. You understand that fruit grows from a seed. It's an agricultural term. But it, it was used in Paul's day for, uh, for fiscal reasons. Okay? So it's, it's both and. And they understood this. It's fruit. And they understand fruit grows from a seed. All right? And so it blossoms from something that's deposited into the soil. Right? An investment that's made into the soil. And now you get fruit from it. But they used that quite frequently in financial terms to say, listen, you make this deposit, you're going to reap dividends. Okay? And he says, I'm not after. He says, I'm not, I'm not after. I'm not so excited about the, about the principle. What excites me, what I'm after, is the profit, the interest. But then he even qualifies that because the interest Paul understood was not his. Don't miss this. The interest Paul understood was not his. Whose was it? Look at the verse. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. The profit which increases to your account. Here's the point. Paul apparently believes that more than the gift was to his benefit, the gift was to the benefit of the giver. Apparently, Paul believes, Now, and we, can, we say this, but I don't know that we actually, all the time, actually believe it in reality. Paul actually believes that there was greater benefit to the giver than to the one who has received. He said it's not so much about the gift, but the fruit that comes from the gift. And I don't get the interest from this deposit. Understand, Philippians, you are the account holder for this interest-bearing deposit. You reap the dividends. Jesus said it this way, that we are to be storing up treasures in heaven. In Luke 6, 38, he gives some parables. In one of them, he says this, Give and it will be given to you. They will... Look, look, at, the, look at the dividends here. Give and it will be given to you, Christ says. And look at the dividends. They will pour into your lap a good measure. And I mentioned this as we originally went through Philippians 4. They will pour into your lap, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Remember what that was a picture of? It was a picture of, uh, of, uh, of one of the servants of a house 
going to town, going to market, and taking their basket to fill it with grain or whatever else they were purchasing for that day. Particularly, this is probably a picture of grain. And the, the, the vendor in the market would fill their basket. Okay? Now, what would you do if you're a frugal servant of a household? You wouldn't just let them pour in whatever they got and walk all the way home with this giant basket, right? Because it was typically probably a long walk. It was usually a heavy basket. I mean, it wasn't easy stuff to do, okay? So the idea was, here's what they would do. Read it again. They would press it down. They'd stand on this thing. I want to get as much in here as I can. They would press it down so that they could fit more. Not only that, they would shake it up so that it would settle to the bottom and they could fit more. And not only that, they would tell them to heap it on until it overflows over the basket. I want as much as I can get for the money I'm giving you, is the point. And so he says, you give, and it'll be given to you. What do you mean? I'll get back what I give? God is much more generous than that, he says. Check this out. You're going to get dividends in this way. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Apparently that's, that's how Paul believes. That the Philippian church, as they make deposits into his ministry... They're going to reap the benefits. In their account, they are storing up treasure for themselves in heaven. The giver gets more. The giver gets more. Now, let's be clear. The man who gives based on simply the promised returns, uh, you're not going to fool God. <laughs> okay? Do me a favor. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You say, well, this is, this is a great financial principle here i give and i'll get back even more great let's preach that a lot and uh, let's believe that to be so true and i'm going to start giving knowing that there's a promise in scripture that i'm going to get back and i'm going to get back pressed down shaken together and overflowing listen god's not a fool he can see into your heart into your mind and uh it's not quite going to work that way check this out Philippians, second, uh, not Philippians. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians, chapters eight and nine are the premier chapters in Scripture uh, on money and giving. All right. Let's look at chapter nine for just a second. All right. I want to show you. I want to show you uh, some of the qualifications here for giving. Start in verse six. Now this I say: He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's the principle we've just seen. He repeats it here to the Corinthians. Each one, verse 7, must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. You see where we're focusing here? We're focusing into the heart. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion, not out of duty, not because you have to, and not, you know, with your fingers, you know, gripped onto the edge of the bill. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion. For God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And that doesn't just mean you go to the offering box all happy and giddy. Woo! It's my money. No, it means more than that. I think it means something greater than that. That God sees into the depth of their heart and they give cheerfully. They give knowing what they're giving to. They give knowing that they're making an investment into the ministry. They're making an investment uh, in many ways. And we're going to see, see how that is true in just a moment. Verse 8. Now watch this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything. Here's, here's God's return investment promise. Always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance. Awesome. So you're telling me if I give, God's going to make sure I have everything I need? Yeah, but the verse doesn't stop there. He's going to make sure that I have an abundance for what? For every good deed. Uh-oh, what's that mean? He's going to return to me because he trusts that I'm going to keep giving it. Folks, that, that's how this thing works. You want to understand the principle. It's not just I give and I'm going to get back and I'll even get back more. And then I'll be, you know, this is my get rich quick scheme right here with the Lord. Now, God's not, God's not, uh, God's not missing anything here. You may have an abundance for every good deed, every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? Sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's no selfishness. He sees your righteousness in this. 
Verse 11, and you will be enriched in everything for what? For all liberality. That you, you can be liberal with your money. You see, God sees in the heart of man, in the man who's giving, God says, you give with the right heart. You give like the Philippians give. Paul understood it. Jesus understood it. That you're going to get back. Not just because you gave and now God's going to make you rich. God gives back to the guy who he knows is going to continue to funnel the money where it needs to go. And the guys who, let me just tell you, the guys who are in on this deal right here, they're some of the, the most joyous people I know. They're rare. But you find a guy who's tapped into this principle right here, that they're not just giving, uh, hoping that they get back more, and they're living on that, you know, the get rich with God quick scheme. But the guys who understand that if I give, and I give cheerfully without, without a grudge, if I give for the, for the right reasons, with the right heart, I give liberally, God's going to give back to me more, and I'm going to find more joy in giving back what he's given me in return. Those guys, number one, they're rare. But they are some of the happiest people I know. I, w- I want some of that. I want some of that, that pure joy that comes in being God's conduit. Go back to Philippians. I haven't even gotten where I want to get yet. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. John Walford said, said it this way. I can't, I can't really say it any better for us to be clear on this principle. John Walford's a, a professor at Dallas Theological uh, Seminary, um, well-respected theologian. He says this. He says, it's remarkable. It's remarkable that a God who possesses all earthly things can be impressed by the temporal gifts of his children. Yet it's not the amount or the character of the gift that is important. It's the love and devotion it reflects. In giving a love token to one of infinite wealth, who is God, by the way. God is of infinite wealth, meaning he doesn't need our money. Okay? In giving a love token to one of infinite wealth, the value of the gift is insignificant. The thoughtfulness, love, and motives that prompt the gift are by far more important. It is the widow's might that is noticed by an infinite God who in fact ignores the gifts of the rich that come without any sacrifice. You see how this is a, this is a heart issue? This isn't about giving. And frankly, this isn't even a giving message. This isn't a tithing message. This is a heart message. I'm going to tell you in the end that this is, a, this is a joy message. Not that I seek the gift itself. Paul understood that there was something else going on here. He understood that in the, in the heart of the Philippians, he could rejoice because they weren't just sending him money. Out of duty, out of responsibility. Uh, they were investing with, with pure hearts, not only in Paul, and not only on their own account, but we're going to see in the next verses what else they were giving to. Now watch this. In verse 18, uh, he's going to thank them profusely. And if, uh, if Paul were in my ninth grade English class, uh, he'd have read all over his uh, papyrus right here for redundancy because he's going to say things repeatedly. Check this out. Verse 18, he said, but understand, I have received everything in full. Right? They made a deposit, and Paul says, you've got to understand that, that you're the one really benefiting from what you've given to me. You're the one who has really benefited from what you're giving me, even more than I've benefited. But check this out. Even me, even me, I am, I am full. In the Greek, that's one word. And it literally means, literally means paid. It was to be stamped on receipts in uh, business transactions. When the, when the bill was paid in full, they would stamp it on your receipt, as it were, this one, this one Greek word, and it, made, it, it meant paid. Apparently, Paul's heart for the Philippian church was, you've fulfilled all your obligations to me. Guys, you've done everything, everything you're responsible to do. Your debt to me 
is paid in full. Not only that, and here comes the redundancy. I have in abundance. I, not, I don't just have what I need. It's overflowing. It's not just pressed down and shaken together. It's overflowing. And not just that. He keeps going. He says, I am amply supplied, having everything uh, that you sent from Epaphroditus, who was the guy, they, the foot soldier they sent uh, from Philippi to Thessalonica. I have everything that you've sent. And now in the end of verse 18, we're going to get to the point where I want to get to this whole message, but you had to see all that for you to see this. So check this out. This is, this is the best part, okay? Don't miss this. The rest was good. They gave big. They gave generously. They stepped up where no one else was, and they stepped up uh, very ambitiously. They find out that it, it's to their own credit that they're reaping benefits for what they did, and they're just like, wow, I, I'm getting a check back that I didn't even know I was getting. Uh, this is a cool stimulus plan, right? Not only that, Paul says, man, I've got everything I need. But more importantly than all that, as good as all that is, he's going to give them the ultimate compliment right here. He's going to give them the ultimate affirmation for what they've done. He's going to equate their gifts to a priestly offering. Remember where we started? That we have a responsibility now as we are all priests. We, are, we have been adopted into the royal priesthood as God Christ is our our final high priest. And now we get to minister to God. In this verse, he's going to say, here's one of the ways that we equate what we do here on earth to a priest. Here's one of the ways we get to act like a priest. We get to take an offering. The offering that they have equated here, that Paul has equated for the Philippians, is their giving to him. So he says, you've given to me, and I've got all I need. That's awesome. Uh, you did it when no one else was doing it. You did it lavishly. That's awesome. Uh, in fact, let me just, let me just surprise you. Uh, you're making, you're making profit off of this deal, right? Uh, you're actually going to benefit more than anybody else in this deal. Uh, Vance Havner, I listened to a sermon he preached on this passage. Vance Havner said, he said, you know what? The Philippian church, even as we read, as he was preaching to his congregation, as we learn from this passage, the Philippian church is probably in heaven reaping benefits from what we're going to reap from their faithfulness. You, You catch that? Isn't that an awesome thought? That they continue to reap benefits upon reaping benefits. That's tremendous. But that's not, the, that's not the best part. That's not the coolest part. The coolest part is, as the Philippian church does this, Paul says, please understand what you're doing here. Please understand what you're doing here. You are, you are acting as a priest in direct ministry unto your heavenly Father. Now, isn't that cool? Look at what he says. And here's the priestly language. Here's the sacrificial language. What you've done, it is... Number one, it is a fragrant aroma. Number two, it is an acceptable sacrifice. And number three, it is well-pleasing to God. Beautiful language here. I don't have time to fully unpack this, but let me just give you a glimpse of what he's saying here. A fragrant aroma. When the priest would lay the offering on the, on the altar and he would, uh, in a burnt offering, the, the, uh, the animal would be burnt, off and burnt up and it would be offered to God and smoke would rise. And there was this sense that God would, would smell the offering. That God would, with his senses, he would sense the offering. In Genesis chapter 8, we see this, the first occurrence of this, when Noah gets off the boat, when the floodwaters subside, he gets off the boat, and you remember what the first thing he does is? He builds an altar. The first thing Noah does, he builds an altar, and he sa- it says he worships God, Genesis 8. He worships by putting uh, one of every clean animal that he had, one of every clean bird that he had on the offer, and he worshiped God for what he had done, taking him through. God was faithful to him. He says, as soon as I get off this boat, I'm building an altar, and I'm telling God how much I love him. I'm giving back to God. In that way, Noah, Noah was acting as a priest. He was, he, was, he, was, he was ministering unto his God. And the passage says that as he did this, God smells it. And it says it was a soothing aroma in the nostrils of God. Now, now get this picture. I, I, all week I've been, trying to, I've been trying to imagine. You know, I like to paint pictures in my head of, of passages. I've been trying to imagine what this looks like here in context. The Philippian church is giving and supporting the Apostle Paul. And all of the sudden, God is you know, busy doing whatever he does in heaven, you know, hanging out, maybe just kick back in his lazy boy throne, whatever he's got up there. And all of a sudden he's... What's that smell? What's that smell? Peter, what's that smell? You getting this? And he slides to the edge of his throne and he looks down at the church at Philippi who's sending 
these gifts who's ministering out of pure heart to the Apostle Paul, who's continuing the kingdom through the work of the Apostle Paul. And God takes notice. Paul says it's like this, it's like this fragrant, beautiful aroma that comes off the offering table and it rises to the heavens and it fills the heavens. And God, God takes note. Now, now, did you realize that when you give, when you give in the way that the Philippians have been giving, that that's what you're doing? Yet you're not only ministering to the person you support, you're not only ministering to the church you support, uh, you're not only reaping benefits yourself, but more than all that, you are ministering unto God. God in heaven slides to the edge of his throne and he takes notice of that, 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 that when we put our money in that box and we support a ministry here, when we support uh, missionaries on the field, when you, when you support whatever it is that you support, that God notices. And not just that, he would say that it is, it's sweet to God. And, and just like when mama's cooking something good in the kitchen, it, it draws us in, doesn't it? When you pass a good restaurant, And it smells good. It draws you in. It's this idea that God is drawn in to what the Philippian church is doing. Not only that, it wasn't just a fragrant aroma in the heavens. He says it was an acceptable sacrifice. There were, in fact, sacrifices made that were not acceptable. Okay? There were, in fact, sacrifices offered that simply aren't acceptable. Generally speaking, there are a couple reasons why sacrifices offered might not be accepted. For one, they were the wrong offering. They were the wrong gift. They were the wrong sacrifice. That's one of the general reasons. Number two, they may be the right offering, the right gift, the right sacrifice, if you will, but they're given in the wrong way. Okay? The wrong gift or given in the wrong way. Paul says of the Philippian church that as they are doing what they're doing, uh, this sweet smell rises to the heavens and God takes notice and it draws him near. Not only that, it is, in Paul's estimation, an acceptable sacrifice. When the priest brought the sacrifice, it had to be a certain thing and he had to bring it in a certain way. If either one of those were messed up, if either one of those were out of order, it was not an acceptable sacrifice. So when Paul says that what you've done is an acceptable sacrifice unto God, what he's saying is that not only is the gift itself right, but your hearts are right. Not only what you've done is right, but how you've done it is right. And therefore, it is acceptable to God. And it's a sweet, sweet aroma in the heavens. He concludes by saying, uh, basically, it's well-pleasing to God. It's well-pleasing to God. Uh, and let me, let me give you what this, what this really means. Um, God said of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. It's not that the sacrifice was just acceptable. But in some form or fashion, and I, I have to confess to you, I don't, I, don't, I don't fully understand how this works. But God, as we minister to him in this way, by ministering this way, as we minister to God this way, um, in some way, God is pleased. We bring joy to the heart and the mind of our God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't often think about my giving and my support of missions, my support of the church, etc., in those terms. I don't know about you, but I don't often think about my giving as a fragrant aroma. I tend to think about it this way. I don't always think about it this way. Apparently, Paul believes that as the Philippian church was doing what they were doing, God was taking notice and it smelled good to God. It was acceptable for what it was. It was acceptable for how they brought it. And not only that, he was, he was pleased He was pleased in a way that he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm, 
I'm well pleased. I'll show you more verses next week where he, he, he looks at the things we do and it pleases him. It's not just acceptable. It's not just right. But it's the idea that he likes it. He enjoys it. Are you starting to understand our, the, the honor and the responsibility and the, uh, the ability that we have to minister to our God? This ministry we have to our God, it's more than it's just right. We bless our King in what we do here on earth. Uh, I can't say it better than um, one theologian, i.e. Elder Jack Kemp, said it. He was helping me to research some of this this past week. And uh, <laughs> he sent me an email. He's off. He's out of town. Uh, God help him in Cayman Islands or something this week. I don't know where he is. Where is he at, Jen? Is Jen in here? She's not even in here anymore. He's suffering uh, on a dive trip. And uh, I say all that because I know he'll listen to this. But uh, he was helping me to research some of this. And, and, and I just have to steal one of the paragraphs he wrote. As, as I was reading his, his notes on this, I could tell that God was overwhelming him. He was just utterly amazed at this idea that what we do here affects our relationship with God. And it's somehow pleasing to our God. And we minister to our God. This is what he wrote. He said, so uh, let, me, let me summarize. When, when you give, the recipient renders thanks to God in their receiving the gift, which was initially your act of worship. That initial act, Scripture says, is a sweet fragrance pleasing to God. But then the recipient further renders praise to God, further glorifying God, and then also often gives in yet another act of worship, thus another sweet fragrance, then so on and so forth. Beautiful. The ultimate end is thanksgiving upon thanksgiving, all of which ultimately renders glory upon glory to God, all credited, by the way, to the account of the believer, lest we forget, who initiated the original offering to begin with. How awesome is that? End quote. All right, so I told you once before, this really isn't a message about giving or tithing. Like Paul, I'd say that it isn't about the gift, but it's about the heart of the giver. Uh, I'm not up here trying to boost the offerings for Cornerstone. I would say, just like Paul, not that we speak from want. We've learned to be content in whatever our circumstances uh, in prosperity. Uh, you know, we've learned the secret to going hungry and having, obedi- uh, having abundance. Uh, I could repeat all that, just like the Apostle Paul, on behalf of our church. We get that. All right? Um, I want you to know, and here's my prayer, here's the point in this message. I want you to know um, that your leadership desires for you to experience the joy that this passage is teaching. I said earlier that too few people, too few people experience the joy that is in this principle of giving. Too few do it, and too few reap the rewards. I want you to simply know the joy that comes when you give God gives back to you pressed down shaken together overflowing and your heart's not to benefit yourself but to continue giving more um, there is a joy that I think the Apostle Paul understood and the Philippians understood apparently that we don't we don't all very often understand uh, my wife and I are catching glimpses of it we're catching glimpses of it as we, on occasion, we give this way. Without any grasp on it, without any doubt about it, not because the person needs it necessarily, mostly because our God has been so good. And He loves them, so we're going to love them, and they're in need, and we do it, and we don't think another thing about it. Uh, a strange, odd sort of thing happens here, and you, you can't fully explain it, but you end up getting back somehow something that uh, and then a further weird thing happens you don't even want to keep it you just want to keep giving it away um, now I just confess that that, that's, that happens rarely for me and my family but I'm catching glimpses of it my wife and I are catching glimpses of it and that joy guys is what I want for you there is a purity there's a happiness that comes when we when we minister not only to each other in that way but when we minister to our God it's an amazing thing. Some of you, let me say this, 
and I'm going to wrap up two more things. Some of you want to give. Some of you want to experience the joy that comes in this sort of system. But you simply can't. Uh, maybe you've gotten yourself strapped into some debt that uh, you're not quickly getting out of. Um, but you'd like to. Uh, let me give you a very practical word right here. Open up your bulletin. Uh, starting in just a few weeks, we're going to do a uh, what's called the Financial Peace University. And the whole idea is that the people of God getting out of debt so that we can do more for the kingdom of God. And get a piece of what's going on here that is a sweet, savory aroma in the heavens that causes our God to take notice. Okay? Uh, you'll want to look in your bulletin and find that. Uh, if you're the guy who says, you know what, I want, I want to be in that situation. I want to be able to give more. I simply, for whatever reason, I haven't been able to. You need to get in that class. All right? Very practical steps to get you to a place where you can be in the situation uh, of the Philippian church. Um, let, me, let me close with this just by way of example. I was on the phone this week with a guy, uh, a man who loves our church, uh, a man who loves our church more than you know. And uh, many of you would know who I'm talking about if I said his name, but I, but I will not. Uh, this guy has given more to our church than many of us have, frankly. And I probably include myself in that. Um, every time I talk to this guy, I'm hesitant to call him. I had to call him for something. And uh, I'm always hesitant to call him because every time I call him, he just wants to give us something. And I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that. Uh, again, I'll say they're rare. But I hesitated calling him. I, I was going to ask him for something. And we got to talking about, um, we got to talking about the lawn out here. And I was just telling him, you know, how pleased I am, how blessed, I, you know, our church is. That we've got a lot of guys stepping up and saying, hey, you know, put me on the lawn crew. I'll help. You know, we're pretty tight on our budget here. You know, we, we're pretty, you know, uh, frugal with our money around here. And, uh, you know, we're not hiring a landscaping crew, et cetera. You know, we do it. You know, we were out weed eating this past week, et cetera. You know, we do it here in-house. And a lot of guys have been stepping up to do it. And I was telling, telling our friend, my friend, uh, you know, about all these men who have been stepping up. But uh, the trouble is, I said, you know, we don't, really, we don't have any equipment here. We don't have a lawnmower here. And, uh, you know, these guys, they're so willing to come up here and do this stuff, but they're trying to drag their little 32-inch, you know, John Deere ride mower up here. And this place is so rough, and it, I'm sure it's just tearing it up. And I hate it for them. It's a pain for them to bring it up, even if they have something. Some of them don't even have a way to bring it up. There's a bunch of guys who would do it if we had a mower here. There's a bunch of guys who would just do it. You know, it wouldn't even be a big deal. And so, you know, I, I was just expressing this to him, and I was telling him, you know, I, wish, I wish we could maybe find a mower that we could keep here. I wish we could afford to buy a mower that we could just keep here because I know we'd have more than enough guys who would come up uh, and do it. And uh, before I was done talk, I wasn't even done with the sentence. And he says, I'll help you with that. He says, matter of fact, here's what you do. He said, on Sunday, go to church. And he said, challenge the church. If they, give, uh, if they give towards buying a mower over and above what they give to the offering, he says, challenge them to give to buying a mower so that the men in your church can take care of that, that need uh, on a week-to-week basis. He said, challenge the church to give to buying a mower. And he said, I'll, I'll match it up to, let's say, $1,000. He said, how much do you think it's going to cost to get a mower like you need? I said, well, I mean, we probably need like a commercial kind of mower. We don't just want, you know, you can't push mower this. I mean, we need like a kind of a commercial mower. I'm like, I don't really know, but I'm expecting it's going to be like a couple grand, you know, at least two grand to get something that's not going to fall apart the first time we use it. And uh, he said, well, I'll give you $1,000. He said, if you challenge our people, uh, if they give give up to $1,000, I'll match it. And and frankly, you know what? Uh, I'm still not convinced I wanted to tell you about that because... Uh, I don't want to take his money because the last time I talked to him, uh, I was calling him about something else. It was right before Easter and we had set up for Easter and we were a few chairs short, you know, the folding kind of chairs short and the big green chairs are too cumbersome to use back there. And we're trying to get more chairs in there. And we were about a dozen chairs short, you know, and I was talking to the guy and I just happened to tell him that he said, go to, go to Sam's They're they're, they cost this much. I'll buy them. And I, I frankly just have to start telling this guy, no, you can't buy this. You can't buy this. This screen right here, we used to have a permanent screen up here. He was here one time, and we couldn't see the baptismal. And he said, you know, what are you ever going to do? I said, well, eventually we need to get a retractable screen, but, you know, they cost some money. He said, oh, let me buy it. Now, let me just say this. This guy doesn't have a whole lot of money, okay? This dude doesn't have a whole lot of money. By looking at his life, you wouldn't know he has much money at all. Uh, but I use him by way of example because I've watched this guy now for several years. And here's what happens. He gives away 
generously, seemingly more than he has. And he, God just, in some strange way, right, he just seems to keep getting money. But he's not getting it and holding on to it and, you know, building a bigger house. He just keeps giving it away. And he's happy to do it. The dude was so excited when I told him what we needed. You need chairs? Let me, let me buy them. You, you need more? I'll, I'll give you this much. Then I got to tell him no. I got to tell him no. Now Vic's back there saying, why'd you tell him no? <laughs> I haven't told him no, Vic. Don't worry. And if you want to contribute to that, you just put your money in an envelope and you just put lawnmower on it. If you're going to take it out of your regular offering, that's not going to help us any, so don't do that. But if you want to give over and above, uh, I'll give the first $100 over and above my offering, uh, and we'll go towards matching this guy's gift, and we'll, we'll get a mower so these guys don't have to drive, drag their push mower up here, okay? Uh, but that, that's not my point, all right? Guys, man, I, I just want some of that. He so loves his God. He so loves those who love his God. He so loves those who are invested in the ministry of the saints, the ministry to the world, the ministry to their God, that he's just, he's just generous. He's just generous. And, and I keep thinking of stories. I, I could just keep going here. Uh, last Christmas, had Kimberly and I at his house. He had about a dozen other ministers at his house, guys he just wanted to love on. Gave us a little stocking this big. And he said, uh, yeah, take this home. And he's just got a little something in it. We get in the car and Kimberly's unfolding. It's a little poem in there that his wife had written to Kimberly. And she, she unwraps hers. And I unwrap mine. And I'm reading it. And it's, an, it's a beautiful note that he had wrote uh, to me and to the, other, to the other pastors that he had at his house that night. And $200 falls out. Like, he just gave us $200. And we were blown away. She unwraps hers. And another $200 falls out. And I, I, I'm just telling you, I can tell you story after story after story. And this dude isn't rich. There, there are just some people, and I, I think God's looking for people like this. I think God's looking for people whose hearts, like the Philippians, are just in the right place. Their love and their affection is in the right place. And he just wants to bless them because he knows that they're going to be a blessing. So this isn't a message about giving. It's a message about joy. It's a message about joy. Let's pray.